to the Refuge Podcast from Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd like to also invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 1045, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. Thanks for listening. Our lesson this morning comes from the 25th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 25, the first 13 verses of that chapter. Hear these words. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the bridesmaids got up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, no, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, open to us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore. You know neither the day nor the hour. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our youngest, Andrew, decided it was time for him to go prepare for living life and prepare for his career. We told him, yes, Andrew, you may attend that place called Louisiana State University, but you have to get tops plus because we're just poor preachers. You can't, you know, we can't pay for that kind of education. And Andrew figured it out. His sister lived in Baton Rouge. She was working for a law firm at that time. He got tops plus. He'd figured out how he could do what he needed to do. And off Andrew goes to LSU. And I remember standing in the driveway with Miss Tamara. She, she stood there and tears rolling down her cheek because her baby was leaving the nest. I was no help. Yes, he's gone. One more step until he's off the checking account. Praise God. So she cried for a few minutes. And then she looked at me and said, let's go to Lowe's. What do you want at Lowe's? We need paint for Andrew's room. We're going to paint it. I'm going to redecorate it. And we're going to do a nice thing. And that's how she did her therapy of losing Andrew. Andrew goes off to LSU. And the first semester, he excelled. He discovered great things about college. Like you don't have to start at 8 o'clock in the morning. You can take evening classes if you want to sleep in. It's all up to you. He discovered how to study and how to play. He, he made it through that first semester, came home at 
Thanksgiving because he had run out of laundry and he was hungry. We fed him and did his laundry and he goes back, does his final exams, everything good, comes home for Christmas and then goes back for the second semester. And in that second semester, my dear, sweet preacher's kid son started dating a girl at LSU that already had a child and her mother thought that was anathema because she probably knew some things little sweet innocent Andrew didn't know and Andrew did not need to hang out with her. Andrew also discovered beer. I don't know what the legal age for drinking in Louisiana is. I just know that there's a vacuum in Baton Rouge Parish that that people go, what? Underage drinking? Nothing to see here. So Andrew has made these two great discoveries, beer and women, in the same semester, and his grade point average goes zoom all the way to the ground, and he flunked one class, one class that caused him to lose his tops. Do you know what that class was? Religion. Ah, did my preacher's heart good, my son flunked religion. Now, what he said was, it was about Zoroaster and Buddha. You didn't teach that in Sunday school or in the church. Right, son. So Andrew, who's gone off to prepare himself for a great career, comes back after one year at LSU, and we said, okay, Bubba, sorry, you can have room and board, which means you're going to eat mama's cooking and mama's going to do the laundry, but you, sir, will pay for your college education. And Andrew is an alumni and a graduate of McNeese State University. They took good care of him. He got a good education. He has a good job. He is off the family payroll. So parents, there is hope. They eventually come off the payroll. Sometimes when you're preparing, there are detours and roadblocks and things just don't quite work out the way you had planned them to do. We have watched all summer as our friends in southwest Louisiana have been told to prepare. Here comes another one. We ourselves have even had to prepare for things that we didn't think we were going to need to do for things that we live in Louisiana for heaven's sakes eventually some things become inevitable and some of us have done a pretty good job of preparing and some of us have done a pretty good job of coping and others not so much so when Jesus tells us you better be prepared hopefully we perk up we listen just a little bit carefully We believe what he is telling us. Matthew 24 and 25 are a part of Matthew's gospel known as the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is sitting across from the temple and he's talked about the buildings and he said, you know, one day those buildings are going to be destroyed and one day the Son of Man will be seen coming in glory and one day history will come to an end and the disciples lean in and they say, Jesus, when are all these things going to happen? Tell us we need to prepare for this. 
chapters 24 and 25 are Jesus' answers to the disciples' questions. And the parables in Matthew 25 are all parables of judgment. They're parables that assume the end of time. They're parables where things cannot necessarily be reversed. Jesus is talking about the way things will become, the way things are. And in Matthew 25, the verses I read, you've got the problem. You've got a wedding feast, for heaven's sakes. We just, we cannot recapture what a Hebrew wedding was like. It went on for days. It went on for weeks. John tells us it went on so long in the second chapter of John's gospel, they ran out of wine. But this is the background, something that we've just, we've lost track of. And and there is an unfortunate translation of a Greek word that the girls are mentioned as bridesmaids. That's not, the Greek really doesn't allow that. They're, They're young girls. If you want to make them 14, that's the perfect age because they would be so excited to finally be doing something like this. It, it's probably their, their social inauguration into young adulthood that they get to participate in the wedding feast. So you've got the American modality of weddings in your mind, and I can't flush that out for you right now. I just want to say that that that's not what's going on. Because if it was what's going on, I could change the sermon and preach about all the stuff I've heard at weddings and seen at weddings. There's one church I pastored. Miss Liza was a member of the church. Miss Liza was big as all life. Miss Liza was so big and her voice was so deep that she sang baritone in the choir. Miss Liza was a force and a presence. And one Saturday, she'd been invited to a wedding at, this, at her home church, and, and she was in her seat, and the bridal party came in. And the only way I can gently describe the bridal party, both the groomsmen and the bridesmaids, is they were hefty folks. They had attended a lot of church potluck suppers. And the bride came in, and she was glistening, and she was very large. And the groom came in, and he was very large. And they're all up there on the platform, and there's this moment of silence right after the minister has told the congregation, you may be seated. Miss Gurney, Miss Liza from the back popped up. There's a lot of beef up there on that stage. The wedding was stopped right there. You're not going to recover. I'm not going to tell you wedding stories like that. I'm going to say that there were 10, 14-year-old girls who are so excited. They get to participate. They get to be a part of the wedding party. They are functionaries in this wedding. And Jesus said, five of them are wise and five of them are foolish. And we want to know the difference. Because all of them basically did the same thing to a point. All of them had the invitation. They were invited to the wedding. They had their papers. They had their graduation certificate. They had the invitation to the wedding. They had their degree from a university. They had their professional certification in whatever profession they had decided to be a part of. They had their paperwork. 
And some of you are like me. You have official paperwork that you not only have, but you have to continue to do education and all the stuff you do to maintain it. So these girls have the wisdom of the world. They have their certifications. They had networked. This is back in the day when we used to really network. Network was cool. You'd take somebody to lunch. You'd network. Meet the coffee. Network. You could make a phone call. Network. Now we Zoom work. Want to get together and have a conversation? Let's Zoom. Mm. I am so tired of seeing two-dimensional people. I do have the fake background, and now I have the cartoon that will put hats on my head. And it distracts people because I have a lot of meetings with clergy and clergy are serious people. And so they're talking about something serious and I've got a pink hat on my head and they just look at me like, oh no. But that's how we network now. We've got to get online and do a Zoom call or do something else. We've got this technology to do it. But these girls had gotten together and they would talked about when they were going to meet, where they were going to meet, what they were going to do. Oh, they had proper attire. They had the garments that were going to allow them to participate in this wedding. So they've got their paperwork, they've networked, they've got the proper attire, and they're equipped. They've got their lamps. All ten of them have lamps. In the wisdom of the world, they have done everything they needed to do to succeed. They got it all. So they're ready. Bridegroom is delayed. Because if you must know, the one that started the wedding was the father of the groom. Because the bridegroom was building a room for he and his bride. And when that room met the daddy's specification, the father of the bridegroom said it's time. That's why Jesus keeps saying in the 24th chapter of Matthew, I don't know the hour, only the father. He is continuing this wedding imagery. So the father of the bridegroom says it's time the bridegroom comes. And this is where we get the differentiation. All of these girls have fallen asleep. Nothing wrong with falling asleep. Some of the best sleep obviously happens in a United Methodist church. I have seen some people just curl up in those seats and and spend whole worship services in deep prayer. I've, I've seen it. Nothing wrong with being asleep. Bridegroom comes. There's the shout. They all tend to get up. They're all ready to go. And five of them say, we don't have enough oil. Now, here's what you can talk about at lunch today. In these parables of judgment, there is always inclusion before there's exclusion. In the next three parables, things happen like that. People are always included before they are excluded. In this, you've got to be left wondering why the five didn't share with the others. That's what we Methodists would do. We'd form a committee. We would all divide out equally the assets. We would make sure that everybody 
had the equivalent amount of oil, even if it wasn't enough oil. But what we learn, what differentiates these girls is the oil. You had five of them who showed up for the wedding with their lamp and a Clorox bottle full of oil. How silly did that look? You don't bring a Clorox bottle filled with oil. You might mess up your wedding garments. You might spill the oil. It could be a fire hazard. You don't do it. But they decided they might need some extra oil for their lambs. So here these five were doing something that looked absolutely foolish in terms of the world, yet it prepared them for what came next. It is oil that is the differentiation between the girls. It is oil that I want to sell you. Because if you keep doing this as a straight parable, you end up in a place you don't want to be. If you do it as an allegory, you're going to end up in a place you don't want to be. It's going to make you uncomfortable. I mean, there's a lot going on at this text. Did you know that Walmart is found in this passage of Scripture? It is. The five girls tell the five who don't have any oil, go to the merchants and buy some oil. It's after midnight. What's the only thing open in town after midnight where you can get oil for your lamp? Walmart. It's right there. You didn't know it was in the pages of Scripture, did you? It's there. There's something going on here around the oil. What's the oil? Oil is the Holy Spirit. Oil is that part of grace we as Methodists call sanctifying grace. Oil is that which allows us to to serve with people who are very different from us. It's, It's what binds us together as the body of Christ. It's what keeps the moving parts all lubricated. It's what gives us the energy and the power and the ability to serve. It's why we as Methodists talk about works of piety and works of mercy. It's so we can be filled with this oil of the Holy Spirit. It's the oil that anointed and helped John Wesley. Wesley said that the Holy Spirit had set him on fire and people came out into the fields to watch him burn. It's what brings you life. It's what brings you energy. It's what keeps you going is the spirit of the living God. In the 91st Psalm, the psalmist is talking about the assurance of God's protection, that God is going to protect us. And he gives sort of this list of things we get protected from. You will not fear the terror of the night. You will not fear the arrow that flies by day. You will not fear the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that wastes at noonday. The destruction that wastes at noonday. The ancients called that acedia. It becomes known as sloth. It's the sin of, I'm tired of going to church. I'm tired of singing the same old songs. I'm tired of doing all that. I'm tired of being good. I'm tired of loving Jesus. I'm tired. I did a funeral yesterday, I participated in it. The lady was 92 years old. She'd been a member of the Mount Moriah United Methodist Church for well 
over 80 years. And Eloise was kind of Methodist. She was always on the second row, far right-hand side, every Sunday. You add up how many sermons she heard over 80-some-odd years of being in the Methodist church. And she was full of life and love and energy. Why? Because she had the oil of the Holy Spirit. She had that which was going to sustain her to the end of life's journey. Let me sell you some oil. If you're running low, if things about life have just beaten you down, if you don't think you can get up again and take one more step, if you can't have resilience like we talked about last week, or perseverance, which is what we're going to talk about next week, let me sell you some oil so you can keep, keep Marching in the kingdom of God. There was a person on our staff in one church. She'd gotten a new car. It was a fancy new car. What drew our attention to the new car is the new car was gold. Not all staff people at a church have a gold car because gold cars tend to stand out in a church parking lot. If you will look at our current church staff, we have gray, black, and white cars. There's not even a red car on our staff. She had a gold car, and she loved that car, and it had many fancy accoutrements. It'd do everything you wanted a car to do. One day, she wasn't driving that car. She was grieving her car because her car was at the dealership. Melinda, what's wrong with your car? My engine. They think the engine in my new car is dead. How did that happen? Melinda, cars will go for hundreds of thousands of miles. They just go like, they go forever. How did it happen? And she had to confess that the car had over 50,000 miles on it and she had never changed the oil nor checked the oil. That's what happens to a car engine. And that's what happens to people when they don't have the Holy Spirit. We wear out. We rub against other Christians and we find out they annoy us. We go to a Bible study and rather than being fed by the word of God, we hear another Hebrew word and it upsets us. And we don't find ourselves on our knees and we don't find ourselves in the word and we don't find ourselves in church. And the oil runs out. And the lamp goes out. And then we want to knock on the door. Jesus, I'm here. And he says, I never knew you. And we get so uncomfortable with that. Because that's not the way we think or operate. But Jesus says, then the kingdom of God. At the end of time, this is what it's like. That yes, there will be accountability. Yes, there will be judgment. Yes, 
Some people's faith will falter before the finish because they have not kept the oil. They have not let the lubricating power of the Holy Spirit be a part of their lives. They've tried to go it their own. And they've run out of oil. How's your oil? All right, here's what helps. Where were these ten girls headed? They're going to a party. That's what a wedding was. They are going to a party. They are going to a celebration. When we all get to heaven, we're going to a party. We have treated heaven and we have treated God and we have treated this whole judgment thing as if it is your mother-in-law coming to see if you have chipped her wedding gift china. Or coming to see if you've still got her wedding gifts. And that's not how God operates. God is like that quirky uncle you've got in your family. He shows up at your house. He's got a loaf of bread under one arm. And he's got a bottle of wine under the other arm. And you know that whatever happens is about to be a lot of fun. So what the Holy Spirit does is it allows you to get this holy smile on your face. It gets you out of the meat, right, and bound and duty mode of Methodism. And it lets you accept the love and grace of God in Jesus Christ. Man, y'all, church is a party. It really is. Or it ought to be. If you're not partying, I'm going to see Mark. I'm going to have him getting you in the party mood. How's your oil? I know. Things are going on in your life that are tough. They're rotten, actually. You've lost loved ones. You've lost jobs. You've lost your sense of What's going to happen next? You need the oil of the Holy Spirit so you can light that lamp and have that light and experience the love, the mercy, and the grace that is Jesus Christ and the party that he calls the kingdom of God. Let me sell you some oil. Would you stand and pray with me? Lord, sometimes we ignore the warning lights. We think we can drive one more block with that warning that we're running out of gas or we can wait another thousand miles before that oil change or we don't have to take care of the air in our tires. We pray, God, that we would heed the warnings that your spirit whispers, that we would seek your face, that we would spend time on our knees and time in your word and time with one another 
So then in the times that we spend seeking you, your spirit would fill our oil reserves so that we could be light and warmth and love to our world. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more about The Refuge and Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityruston.org.